as I welcome you to week number two of a short two-week series that I've entitled, The Struggle is Real. And today we're going to be talking about the topic of depression, anxiety, and how to stay free or break free if you're struggling with it um, this morning. So, 1 Kings chapter 19, I want to start out by giving you some statistics from the National Alliance on Mental Illness. It says that one in five U.S. adults experience mental illness each year. So there's a good chance that someone here in this place is right now going through anxiety or depression. One in 20 U.S. adults experience serious mental illness each year. This one's staggering. One in six U.S. youth aged six, six to 17 experience a mental health disorder each year. 50% of all lifetime mental illness begins by age 14 and 75% by age 24. So our youth and young adults are struggling. And suicide is the second leading cause of death among people aged 10 to 34. And if those weren't if those weren't, you know, devastating enough, these numbers have been exasperated by COVID. We are facing right now in our nation a mental illness epidemic. And as I mentioned last Sunday, my goal for this series is for us to find some help and some guidance from the Bible. You know, Dave shared during the transition time, just after worship, that God is a God who sympathizes. He's our great counselor, right? We know that he has been through, he's been tempted in every way just as we have. He's been through things that we've gone through. And, and today I stand as one who can sympathize with anybody in this room who has experienced anxiety and depression because I've been in that place. So I'm not here to empathize with you. I'm here to sympathize with you this morning. And I want you to find freedom in God's word. So today I want to give you five things from our text to help you break the chains of anxiety and depression. So if you can grab a piece of paper and a pen and take some notes today, I want to give you some good stuff that will help you. And before we get into today's text, I want to remind you of how God sees you and what he believes about you this morning. See, the enemy in John 10, 10, it says, a thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus has come to give you life, not just to get you through life, but to give you life more abundantly. There's a difference between just getting through life and having and living an abundant life. So never, under, never mistake that, understand that God is not a God who just wants to get you through. He wants to break the chains and set you free. So we're in the Old Testament book of 1 Kings chapter 19. It's about 11 books into the, the Old Testament, just after 2 Samuel chapter 19 and verses 1 through 18. And before I get into our text this morning, I want to go back one chapter to chapter 18 and give you kind of the setting of what's taken place up until this point. In chapter 18, we read of a 
great showdown between Elijah and the prophets of Baal. It's a showdown between Elijah who has called out the Baal prophets and says, we're going to have a showdown here. We're going to find out who is the real God. And so the prophets of Baal, this false counterfeit God, they go out and they, um, the Bible says that they dance around. They perform this hopping dance about their altar and, they, and they're raving back and forth. And it even says that they're trying you know, to arouse Baal and they're cutting themselves with knives. They're doing all these crazy things. They're speaking all these different mantras, trying to cause their, their God to provoke their God to send fire down upon their sacrifice. And the Bible even goes on to say that Elijah, he gets a little bit cocky after a while because nothing's happening, you know, and he's seeing these guys just in this crazy attempt to, to cause something to happen, to incite, to arouse, be able to do something. And he says, hey, where's your God? Maybe he's over in the bush relieving himself. It's in the, it's in the Bible. <laughs> it's like maybe he's over on, on, on the toilet, you know. Maybe you go need to knock on the door and tell him to get out here and do something. And then it's Elijah's turn. And he decides to raise the stakes. And so he has the people come and bring him a whole bunch of water. And he drenches the altar. He drenches the sacrifice that, that he placed upon the altar. He has the people dig a trench and they fill the trench with water. And there's water everywhere. And then he prays. Verse 37 of 1 Kings 18. He says, Oh Lord, answer me. Answer me so that these people will know that you, O oh Lord, are God that you have brought them back to yourself. And look what verse 38 says. It says, immediately the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull. It burned up the wood, the stones, and the dust, and it even licked up all the water that was in the trench. And when the people saw it, they fell face down on the ground and cried out, the Lord, he is God. Yes, the Lord is God. So God answers Elijah's prayer and proves that he, not Baal, is the one true almighty God. Elijah then has all the Baal prophets seized, all 450 of them, and he has them brought down into the Kishon Valley, and they're slaughtered and killed there. Then just a few verses later, Elijah prays for the three-year drought to end. He prays to God that God would send rain and there appeared in the sky a dark cloud and there was a monsoon of rain that came. And then just a few more verses later, the power of God falls on Elijah and he outruns King Ahab's chariot all the way back to Jezreel, which was at least 17 miles away and maybe as much as 25 miles away. Talk about God answering Elijah's prayers. Talk about a great prophet of God, a man of God. But then what happens? The king of Israel's wife, King Ahab's wife, Jezebel, is furious. She hates Elijah. And if she wanted him dead before, she wants him deader than dead now because he has just slaughtered all of her prophets, which leads us to our text in 1 Kings chapter 9, verse 1. 
So Ahab, the wicked king of Israel, told Jezebel, his wife, who was the queen, all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Speaking of the 450 prophets that were killed. In other words, she wants Elijah dead. Then he, Elijah, was afraid, and he rose, and he ran for his life. You know that fight or flight response? He flees for his life. And he comes to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough. Now, Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my ancestors. And he laid down and slept under a broom tree. Elijah had just experienced a close-up personal encounter with the power of God. God had revealed himself to the whole nation of Israel that Elijah was his prophet. Yet when Jezebel threatened to take his life, Elijah became afraid and ran a day out into the wilderness and hides and sleeps. A psychologist or counselor might conclude that Elijah is suffering from a major bout of depression and anxiety. He has all the symptoms. Exhaustion from years of stress, no remaining energy, no zeal, excessive sleeping. He is filled with fear. He has taken his eyes off of God and he's placed his eyes upon his situation. He has isolated himself from, his, from people, leaving his servant behind in Beersheba. He's all alone. He has gone into the wilderness to die. And last week from these first four verses, I shared with you six things that lead us into depression. And let me recap them real quick. There are one, life imbalances. Two, comparing ourselves with others. Three, ruminating. Remember last week I talked about chewing your mental cud? Like chewing on those thoughts and then regurgitating them and then chewing on them some more, and then swallowing them, and then regurgitating, and then chewing on them some more, and then swallowing them, and just doing that over and over. Remember I said that you keep doing that, it gets pretty gross. Number four, the fourth thing that leads us into depression and anxiety is an inability to process pain in a healthy way. Medicating. Medicating in an unhealthy way. Number five is isolation and loneliness. And number six is ignoring spiritual warfare. And today, I want to give you five things that will help you stay free or set you free from depression and anxiety. And the first one is this. You need to step into needed rest and recovery. And I'm talking about here a physical recovery. I found out this past week that the UW Health here in Madison is one of the nation's largest living kidney donor programs. Imagine being one of the 92,000 people who are on the wait list currently waiting for a donor to give a living kidney. 
The average wait I found was five years, and, and when you receive a call from the transplant center that you have a donor, that there's a kidney that's available, it says that you need to get to the hospital as quickly as you can because they want to put inside of you a living, healthy kidney. So when you get that call, you head to the hospital. Before surgery, the standard procedure is to meet with the transplant team of doctors. They're going to check you and make sure that you're healthy, that all the toxins are out of your body. But just imagine as this medical team is doing their pre-surgery medical check that they find out that you're not well enough to receive transplant surgery. Imagine they tell you that you have too many toxins still in your body and you have to go through a few more rounds of dialysis to get them out. They don't want to put this healthy kidney in you and have your unhealthy body reject it. And this makes me wonder how many times God wants to do something inside of us. He wants to perform some type of um, spiritual surgery within us. Maybe we've heard a sermon preached that impacted us, and, and maybe there was an altar call that we really wanted to, to go forward and to respond to, but we were embarrassed or we were ashamed. Or maybe we've been in a counseling session where a counselor gave us some good guidance and direction. Or another believer shared with you some godly wisdom, but you were too, too unhealthy at the moment to receive it. That was the case for Elijah. An angel of the Lord found Elijah too unhealthy to receive good, godly guidance or counsel. So look what the angel did instead. Verse 5. It says, And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank. And, the, and scripture says, then he laid back down again to go to sleep. Isn't it interesting that when you read this text, that the angel doesn't take Elijah on this spiritual journey of health and recovery, but instead first he says, hey, before we do anything else, and I, and I love this prescription, he says, go take a nap, go get something to eat, and then get up again and come back, and I'll have some more food for you. I don't know about you, but I could follow that prescription. And for a lot of us, there are solutions all around us. And many have tried to give you good guidance and direction, but you were just too unhealthy at the time to receive it. So you need to step into a season of rest and recovery. You need to get your life back in order. You've got to take control of that which you can control right? We have to take control of that which we can control. Even when everything else is out of control, there's some things that you can control, and that is your time. Remember last week I shared with you from Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verse 6 that, that says, better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. See, a lot of us are, are doing what I call living a two-handful living. You know, we're we're, we've, we're, we look at one hand's full and you say, well, I've got another one that's empty, so I'm going to fill that too. And so we're running around. And you're sitting here this morning, you've got already things going through your mind, like I need to go home and do some yard work. 
I've got to mow the lawn. I've got clothes to, to wash. I have laundry um, to fold. I've got a house to clean. I've got four errands that I need to run the day. We're all guilty of that, right? Friends, we were not designed by God for nonstop activity. We've got to take control of our lives and slow it down. We need margin in our lives, some white space. And I love this powerful quote from essentialism author Greg McKeown. He says, if you don't prioritize your life, prioritize your life, others will. Someone else will. Have you noticed that all the stores out there have an agenda for you? All the commercials that you see on TV have an agenda for you. Your boss has an agenda for you. Your friends and family have an agenda for you. Even your children and your pets have an agenda for you. We have to take control of our lives. We need to step into rest and recovery. And follow the prescription given to Elijah of solitude, sleep, and sustenance. Write those three things down. Solitude, sleep, and sustenance. The first one is solitude or alone time. How many know that Jesus needed alone time? It says that he withdrew himself and he went and was away from the others and he spent time by himself with his heavenly father. And if Jesus needed alone time and solitude, we definitely do too. Whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, there are plenty of things you can take away from being alone. There was a study done in 2017 called The Solitude Project. And researchers discovered that those who actively chose to be alone, even if it was just for 15 minutes a day, experienced less stress and felt more relaxed, clear-minded, and productive as a result. I say even if it's just 15 minutes a day because solitude and stillness is hard for me. Silence, it, I don't know, just hard for me. So I'm saying even if it's just 15 minutes a day, you're going to feel more relaxed, more refreshed, and have a clearer mind. It's also important that we take a weekly Sabbath. Don't let church be the only hour and a half of your week that you're alone with God. The Bible says that you need to take an entire 24-hour day each week where you stop doing, you cease your doing, and you rest. You, you ask yourselves these questions. What is restful for me? You plan it out. You prepare for it. What brings me great pleasure? What is a worshipful way that I can connect with God? Then you develop a, re a regular rhythm. Hopefully, it's on the same day each week, so it becomes a part, a pattern of your life. And friends, you, there's, you can't mess it up, and there's nothing, there's no such thing as a perfect Sabbath. So just do it. It's, just do it. And it's hard for the enemy to tempt us when we're well-rested and happy. Sleep. Studies have showed that adequate levels of sleep help to provide mental health and hormonal balance. You need to get your sleep, which the CDC, Centers for Disease and Control, 
says that we need seven to 10 hours of sleep for most adults, eight to 10 for most teens, and all the teens are like elbowing their mom and dad saying, I told you. <laughs> nine to 12 for school-aged children, and even more for those who are younger than nine years old. Then we need sustenance, nutrients, nutrition, good, healthy food and drink is necessary for your body to be at peak efficiency and performance. Food, unhealthy nutrition is a leading cause of depression and anxiety. It contributes to it. Another 2017 study found that symptoms of people with moderate to severe depression improve when they receive nutritional counseling sessions and ate a more healthful diet for at least 12 weeks. We're talking about a diet that is filled with fresh and whole foods that are high in nutrients, that's limited, there's a limited amount of processed or refined foods, sweets, fried food, and junk food. Depressive symptoms, including mood and anxiety, improved enough to achieve remission criteria in more than 32% of the participants. You can improve your depression, your anxiety, by eating healthy. So solitude, sleep, sustenance, that's the prescription. Before the angel of the Lord dealt with the spiritual symptoms, he, he met Elijah where he was. He saw that he was tired, that he was exhausted, that he was running on load, low. And so he says, you need solitude. You need some good, healthy food, and you need sleep. Verse 7, and the angel of the Lord came again a second time, and he touched Eliza and said, arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. What I have for you next is too great for you. So you, you need your sleep. You need your alone time. You need um, your sustenance. And it says here that Elijah went in the strength of that food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Mount Horeb, the Mount of God. What is Mount Horeb? It's, it's the same as Mount Sinai. It's where God appeared to Moses, remember, and gave the Ten Commandments. It's the mountain of God. God appeared to Elijah. He called Elijah, come meet with me at Mount Horeb, the mount of God. And Elijah went. So the first step is we need to rest and recovery. We need to step into that. And, and the second step we need to step into is a God encounter. We need to step into God's presence. Verse 9, there he went into a cave and spent the night. And the Lord appears to Elijah. And the word of the Lord came to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord Almighty. It'd be similar for like us saying, like, I go to everything. I work hard. I don't say no to anybody. I'm really, really trying. That's what... Elijah's saying here. And then he points his finger. He says, the Israelites, it's their fault. They have rejected your covenant. They've torn down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. This is how Elijah responds. And verse 11 says, and the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord for the Lord is about to pass by. 
In other words, Elijah, my friend, you need a fresh encounter with my presence. God could have pointed out all the wrong ways that Elijah was thinking. He could have told him at that moment that he wasn't the only one, that there were others too that were serving the Lord. However, when someone is thinking irrationally, they don't listen to reason. They don't listen to logic or common sense. Rather than argue with him, God invites Elijah to stand on the mountain while the Lord's presence passes by. It's as if the Lord wants to remind Elijah of just how big, how much bigger he is than Elijah's problems. And sometimes when we are feeling burned out and lacking in energy or hope, we need to ask ourselves, how connected to the Lord are we? Right? Because Psalm 46 says that God is our, our present help in time of trouble. See, there's this thing of the omnipresence of God that, that says God is everywhere. Where two or more are gathered together, God's there in his presence. But there are other times, have you ever experienced this, where you said, man, God was in that service. Or I really sensed God when I, when I was praying. There's a difference between the omnipresence of God and the manifest presence of God. Where God just awakens your spirit to his spirit and says, I'm here. And you know it, you can feel it, you can sense it. It's the glory of God, it's the, it's the heaviness, the weightiness of God's glory that's in the midst. Tell me you know what I'm talking about this morning. And he says, Elijah, you need a fresh encounter with me. I've given you the prescription, I've told you to get some rest, some sleep, to eat some good food. Now you need to step into a fresh encounter with me and see that I am bigger than your problems. I'm your ever-present help in time of trouble. In verse 11, the latter half of that verse says, Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, and it shook everything. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And then after the earthquake came a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. But I want you to see this. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. Friends, as I've shared in the past so many times, we look for the loud and the spectacular. But God is in the intimate. He's in those moments that are still, that are quiet. And honestly, it's not as hard as you think to settle your spirit and hear from God. Psalm 4610 says, be still. What's that word still mean? It means to let go, to surrender, maybe even die to yourself. And then it says, there you'll know in that place, in that place of stillness, you'll know that I am God. So what is God saying to Elijah? He's saying, Elijah, turn down the noise in your life. Turn off all that negative self-talk so that you can hear the stillness of my voice, so that you can hear my whisper. Last week, Lisa shared that when I was personally going through a season of anxiety and depression that she would purposely and intentionally fill our house with worship music. I mean, even when we were sleeping, it was like on all the Alexa devices. <laughs> Alexa, play worship. Alexa, play worship. Alexa, play worship. I mean, it was just streaming through, through our house. And it created this atmosphere 
of just worship and praise and allow all my circumstances, all the things that I had my eyes focused on just to like slowly fade away and for me to see God and experience him in a fresh new way. I love Psalm 1611. It says, in your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Even this morning as I was standing here worshiping, the progression of the songs, I, I just was brought into the presence of God. How many of you experienced that this morning as we were singing Waymaker and you're singing those promises and you're declaring those things over your life? It's like the things that you came in here with are like nothing compared to his presence at that moment. And as believers in Jesus Christ, we must not allow our circumstances to steal our song. You've got to keep your song. You have to fight for that song. We must not allow depression or anxiety to deprive us of the healing power of worship. Friends, you will not think your way out of um, depression and anxiety. You will worship your way out of it. The Bible says that God is searching for worshipers. John 4.23 says, But the hour is coming, and now is here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. So if you can't find God, worship Him, and He will find you, friends. He will find you. Asaph, the chief music director of King David's court, wrote Psalm 73. And the first 15 verses of that psalm are like, they're wicked, and woe is me, and oh, you should only know. And, and he's going on and on, and it's like gloom and doom. And then all of a sudden, he comes to verse 16, and he says, When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply till I entered into the sanctuary of God. And I'm telling you that that's the changing moment for all of us. We need to step into needed rest and recovery, yes, but we can't stop there. We must step into the sanctuary of God. That's God's surgery room, amen? And that's where he does his greatest work as setting us free. It doesn't end there for Elijah. Verse 13, when Elijah heard it, he's standing in the presence of God now. He pulled his cloak over his face. What's our face represent? It's, it's our identity. It's the visual expression of ourself, right? So Elijah pulls the cloak over his face, that one part of his body that identifies who he is, and he's ashamed of his identity at that moment. He, he's ashamed before the Lord, and he went out, and it says that he stood at the mouth of the cave, and then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Same question that he asked earlier in verse 9. And it cracks me up because Elijah gives him the same exact answer. He replies, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've torn down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. And I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. You know what this reminds me of? This reminds me of today's version of when you go on Facebook or Instagram or one of the other social media platforms and somebody makes a negative comment towards you or responds to something you posted with or tweeted or something with a negative comment. You know, they say things that will just, they just infect your spirit and bring you down. What happens then? We buy into the narrative, don't we? We buy into the identity that 
what the world says about us must be true. And then what happens? We've forgotten what God has to say about us. Did you know that your joy is directly connected to your identity and how you see yourself? That's why it's so important for us to know how God sees us and to see ourselves as God sees us and to be secure in who we are and confident in who God's called us to be. So friends, number three, if you want to stay free or break free from a spirit of depression, anxiety, then you need to step into your true identity. And that's why I love coming to church each week, because the rest of the world might tell you, nah, you'll never do that. You're a failure. You're not good enough. But your father, your father tells you, you're my child. I've adopted you into my family. You, ha- you are joint heir in my inheritance. All the things I possess, you possess. I remember when I was doing my driver's education, and I was driving with my dad in his van, and he said, pull into the parking spot. And so I did, but I was with my dad, so he was a little bit, want to be extra careful, was a little bit fearful of doing something wrong and disappointing him, and guess what? I did. Pulled in right and hit, hit our other van right next to us and bent his rear view mirror, I mean the, the side mirror. He didn't say anything. He took a deep breath. How many know that when dad takes a deep breath, you're in trouble? Or he's upset. Went up, went into our home, spent the afternoon. He said, all right, guys, we we need to go to grandma's house out in the country. Let's get out to the car. So grabbed my sister, and we walked out to the car, and he said, get in. You're driving. And I said, but dad. I'm a failure, you know, like I'm, I'm a loser. I bought into this false narrative, you know, this false perception of how my dad must feel about me right now. And he said, nope, you're going to learn. That's the way you learn. You learn from your failures. Get back in. You're going to drive to grandma's house. And I was so thankful for that lesson. And that's the lesson that Elijah's receiving here, that it's not what, you know, no one can make you feel inferior without your consent. No one can make you feel inferior without your consent. So we have to believe what the Lord says about us, not what others say about us. Verse 15 says, so the Lord said to Elijah, and this is very key, and I want to bring it in, the plane in for landing here, so get ready. You have to step into a needed rest and recovery. Sometimes you can have all the answers in the world, but if you're not sleeping enough hours, they won't work. If you're not eating enough, they're not going to work. If you're not slowing down enough, they're not going to work. And then you need to learn the art of worship. You need to learn how to cultivate the presence of God, to learn how to woo the Spirit of God into your, in your midst. And then you need to step into your true identity. You're a child of God. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. Greater who is he that's in you than he that's in the world. And this is a word for someone here this morning. Maybe you need to get off social media to heal. Maybe you need to turn off the news to heal. And that's the truth. Listen to your heavenly father. Verse 15, the Lord said to Elijah, and by the way, the Lord didn't answer any of his complaints, not any one of them. Depressed people usually cannot be talked out of their gloom and doom. 
But what does sometimes help is a sense of purpose, and that's what God's about ready to give to Elijah, and that's key. In verse 15, he says, go back the way you came. Now, that doesn't sound like a lot on the surface, but it meant a lot to Elijah. The way he came was through Beersheba, remember? It's the place where he dropped off his servant and went out into the wilderness. Beersheba is called the place of the oath. It's the place where Elijah stood and committed his life to the Lord and says, God, I'm in. Whatever you want to do, wherever you want to send me, I'm your man, I'm going. So what, do you, what is he telling? He's saying, go back to that place where you made an oath to me that you would serve me no matter what. I want you to return to that place and I want you to re-up your commitment. And so 15, the latter half of 15, it says that you went to the desert of Damascus and when you get there, anoint Haziel, king over Aram, also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, anoint Elijah, son of... I wish they had better names back then that you could pronounce. Shaphat from Abel, Mehola, whatever, to succeed you as prophet. In other words, he's given him some new assignments, right? He says, Elijah will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. So he said, I'm going to do all this great work through you, and actually you're not the only one, because look, in verse 18, he said, yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and whose mouths have not kissed him. In other words, Elijah, you're a man of God, you're my child, get back to work, because I have a fresh new assignment for you, and I want you to step into that assignment. Even psychiatrists, secular psychiatrists and therapists will tell you this, there's nothing more powerful that you can do than to embrace a new project. And if you wake up every day to just pay bills and go back to sleep and eat, you will be depressed. You have to have something that you are living for, someone who loves you, that cares about you, and something to look forward to. The Bible says, like I shared last week, where there is no vision, the people die. So what do we do? We go back the way we come. We came. We go back to the place where we got fired up, where we committed our life to the Lord. We go back there, and, we'll, and we say, God, I'll do anything for you. But how many know that sometimes it's hard to go back to the place, that place, because of the embarrassment or the shame? But sometimes you have to, to be restored and healed. Go back the way you came. Verse 19 says, and I want to close with this verse. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of that one guy. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. And Elijah went up to him, and he threw his cloak around him, and he stepped into what I call a relational strength. Remember Elijah said, I'm the only one left. I'm all alone. God provided for him Elisha to be one of his disciples, a friend. The core of his complaint before God, he said, I'm alone. But God had readied a man named Elijah that was ready to learn from Elijah to be his disciple and successor. And that gave Elijah assurance that after he was done, gone and dead, that his work, his legacy would be carried on. And Elijah never walked again. I mean, walked alone again. 
And we never hear of him in the scriptures being depressed again. Because he received a friend in Elisha. And what does that speak to us as a church? That we're never, we were never created to do life alone. We're created for community. Let's think about this. Even in the, in the Trinity, in the Godhead, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, they exist together. They work together. They each have a distinct and different purposes. But within, within that, they're not uniform, but there's unity within that uniformity. And so it tells me that even, and we're created, Genesis 128 says we're created in the image of God, the, the Mago Dei, the image of God, we're created in his image. And that says that we're created for relationship. We need each other. That's why we're a church of small groups. And that's why I love every week you can come in here. When the world, like I said, says all those negative things towards you, you can find somebody that will tell you the truth. Find somebody to tell you the truth. We don't do life alone. We do it together. I remember one of the first... Looking back at Paul, just reminded me. One of the first, remember Pancake Cafe? Paul? One of the men's groups, just sitting there and um, hearing the guys talk and share their struggles and being like surprised that nobody was like, (gasps) but instead they were like, you too? I struggle with the same thing. You struggle with it too? We all struggle. God reversed Elijah's emotional burnout by meeting him where he was. He needed rest and recovery, so God provided sleep and food. He needed a fresh understanding of who God was, so God revealed himself again to him. He needed a proper perspective of himself, so God reminded him of his calling. He needed a sense of purpose, so God gave him an assignment. He needed some close relationship with others. So God provided a friend and said that there's, there's even more 7,000 others just like him that haven't bowed their knees to Baal. And God wants to do these same five things for us. I want you to stand with me this morning. Remember last week when I told you I first went and saw a counselor, I asked him, am I going crazy? Remember what his response was? Crazy people don't know that they're going crazy. The second statement I made to him was this. Is there hope? Is there hope? And he said, yes, there's hope. You might be here this morning and feel like, no, there's no hope for what I'm going through. Friends, there's hope. No matter how dark it gets, there's always hope. There's always going to be a purpose for your life. You are loved, you are needed, you are valued, and you are capable. Stop believing the narrative of what the enemy says about you. Remember, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus has come to give you life, an abundant life. Let's bow our heads. Father, I just pray right now with everyone's eyes clothes and heads bowed and Lord I know that at this time usually it's the enemy's tactic to to whisper even more lies 
to distract us, to, give, to get our attention off of the truth for a lot of various different reasons. He brings shame and embarrassment. But I thank you, Lord, that we're in the sanctuary of God this morning. There's no judgment. This is the no judgment zone. We're all imperfect people. If there's anything good about us, Lord, it's because of your grace. So we rest in that this, this morning about, and we believe what you say about us and not what the enemy says about us. Friends, as I was praying this morning, the Lord showed me that there's someone in this room who you're a casual drinker. You're not one known to, to get drunk and get crazy and all things like that. But you're battling depression, anxiety right now, and you're medicating yourself with alcohol. And it's causing you great shame and embarrassment. You're hiding it for others. Maybe your spouse knows and it's become destructive. And you're ashamed to tell anybody about it for what they might think about you. But it's destroying you. God says that he wants to set you free from that this morning. There's no judgment for it. God wants to set you free from that. It's no different than others who binge eat, who sleep excessively or whatever to deal with the pain that they're experiencing, but God wants to set you free from that specifically. So I tell you that this morning, not to embarrass you, but to to tell you that God sees and he knows and he cares and he wants to comfort you in your pain. So pray that you just release that to the Lord and let him just bring healing to your life right now. Break that chain in Jesus' name. Lord, break that chain in Jesus' name. You're the way maker, the miracle worker, the promise keeper. There's others of you that are hiding in isolation. You've closed off any community that you have. There's people that are like knocking. They're wanting in. They're wanting to help. Or maybe they've shared good, godly counsel and guidance with you, but you have not received it because of rational thinking. God wants to heal your mind this morning. He wants to set you free. He wants to deposit his truth in your mind this morning. He, he who the sun sets free is free indeed. Don't go back to a yoke of slavery. Others of you, you just need to s slow down. You need to rest. You need to recover. We need to get proper sleep. You need help. You need discipline. You need to let some things go. Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that you would reveal those things that they need to let go. Just listen. 
Listen for his whisper. Listen for his whisper right now. He's speaking right now. He's saying, let go of that or stop medicating with that or that's, that's not true. Listen. Others of you, maybe you've tried all these things. It's just not worked. And you need to see a counselor. You need some medication to help. There's no judgment there. If you went to a doctor and he told you that you were a diabetic and you needed insulin, you would take your insulin. So maybe you need to make that call, set that appointment. Speak up, say something, get help. Others of you that feel alone need a friend. How do you find good friends? You make yourself friendly. Stop saying no when people say, hey, let's get together. No, I'm too busy. Or I'll see. Or the classic Facebook one, maybe. to have somebody that you share your secrets with make sure it's a godly believer father just pray that as we close and worship this morning that you continue to do your work in this place the bible says that god is near the brokenhearted god's in this place this morning God's presence is strong right now. I'm going to pray and close. I'm going to invite those who would like prayer for anything. It can be totally different than what we've talked about this morning. We'll be up here around the front if you just want to grab someone and pray this morning. I'll be happy to pray with you and believe with you. Father, we just thank you for the opportunity to come into the sanctuary of God and be reminded who you are, that you are God Almighty. You're bigger than all of our problems. Thank you, Lord, that you are near to the brokenhearted. When we don't feel you, we don't sense your presence, you are there. You show up, Lord, even in the dark places, you are there. You pick us up. You pick us up when we fall down, Lord. You dust us off and you send us out. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I just pray your peace right now over your church. That peace that surpasses all human understanding. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Maybe dismiss if you want prayer. Just feel free to come up and grab one of us and we'll pray with you this morning.